ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, The ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with ETF Trends and ETF Database or any of its affiliates. ETF Trends and ETF Database participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or an indication by ETF Trends and ETF Database of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, welcome to this very special edition of ETF Prime. I am now joined by Simeon Hyman, Global Investment Strategist at ProShares, who just this morning, they launched the first US-listed Bitcoin ETF. It's the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF. Ticker symbol is B-I-T-O. This is a futures-based product. It doesn't actually hold Bitcoin, but instead it holds CME-traded Bitcoin futures. And Simeon is now joining me from New York. Simeon, congratulations on the launch and thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. We're really proud to be out first and uh, very glad to have the, op have the opportunity to speak with you. Well, I have to ask you, how has the day been going so far? I understand that you were at the New York Stock Exchange this morning for the bell ringing. Well, what's the day been like so far? We're, uh, we're having a lot of fun. I mean, there's obviously lots and lots of press and media attention. Um, and I think it's appropriate because this is uh, this is a bit of a game changer. It's uh, um, if you want to think about it, and it's, it's not unlike uh, the launch of the first gold ETF or the first bond ETF. And these are important advances in the um, in the ability for investors to uh, to conveniently get access to lots of different ways to uh, to support their investment objectives. What does your media schedule look like today? Are you just jam-packed? Yeah, it's been full, uh, pretty much back-to-back -back <laughs> for eight or 10 hours straight. So uh, ultimately, I'll take a break. But uh, I'm a fan of uh, several cups of coffee. And then my real vice is Diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> I feel the same way. I've been just absolutely gassed over the past week following all this. I think, as you know, I've been tracking the Bitcoin ETF story for a long time and I'm having a lot of fun with it, but I'm tired. But of course, I'm speaking to somebody who's been working to actually bring the product to market. I'm curious, has anything ever come close to comparing to this media frenzy around a Bitcoin ETF since you've been at ProShares? This is a big one, but you know we do see innovation as really at the heart of what we do. So um, it, it's uh, it's part of our DNA to bring solutions that are distinct to differentiate to the market. But th this is a big one, absolutely. Okay, so you have actually been with ProShare since 2013, which incidentally that was when the first Bitcoin ETF was filed by the Winklevoss twins. That was eight years ago. That was a physically backed product, and some people may not realize. ProShares was actually pretty early here as well. You filed for a futures-based ETF back in December of 2017, which was right after the CFTC approved Bitcoin futures at SIBO uh, and CME. 
I'd love to have you just talk about this journey here. When did ProShares first start contemplating a Bitcoin ETF? What was the feeling when the SEC rejected your first futures-based filing? What has the process been like over the past year? Just take us through the uh, the history here. Well, uh, thank you for for observing that we we did indeed have that first filing in 2017. So, uh, you know, we're not we're not new to cryptocurrency. We've obviously been studying it for a long time, um, and uh, uh, it's been a lot of hard work. But the what we found was very consistent with the the public comments that you've heard from uh, the SEC, all of the positive things about the futures market that you may have seen in the in the press, specifically from the SEC, is certainly very consistent with what we see as you know, part of the key value proposition here. Uh, th- this is not a second order alternative to, uh, to other ways of getting Bitcoin. We think this is a particularly high road. Uh, first of all, you have the regulation in the futures market. And on top of that, you have the regulation and the Securities Acts of 1940 on the ETF itself. So it's not just convenience, it's the robustness. In fact, there are a growing number of experts who've been writing quite publicly that um, the futures market is perhaps the better place for price discovery uh, than the spot market. Uh, the CME futures market that you referenced and that uh, you know forms the core of the, uh, that, that's where these futures trade, that market actually trades 40% more volume than the largest US Bitcoin exchange. So um, this is a, a, we think a very powerful way to, uh, to gain exposure to Bitcoin. The comments that you referenced from the SEC. So SEC Chair Gary Gensler, he made these comments in early August that his staff would look forward to reviewing Bitcoin ETF filings that were under the Investment Company Act of 1940 and where the ETF held CME-traded Bitcoin futures. I believe he made those comments on August 3rd. ProShares filed for the ETF on August 4th, if I'm not mistaken. So you were ready to go. I'm curious, were you just waiting for the right time? And then what do you think change that ultimately got the SEC comfortable with a futures-based Bitcoin ETF? So I wear a lot of hats at ProShares. The SEC attorney guy is actually one of the hats that I don't wear. (laughs) (laughs) So I I actually, I I don't have a a lot of blow-by-blow color for you, but um, yeah, it's certainly fair to Fair to note that innovation is so core to what we do. When you mentioned the 2017 filing, um, we've been watching this and, and you know preparing and preparing and thinking about alternatives as the uh, the Bitcoin market matured, as the futures market matured, and as the evolution of the regulatory environment continued. How much do you think custody mattered here? That ETF issuers don't actually have to store and secure Bitcoin since you just hold futures contracts. Do you oh. think that was a factor in the SEC's decision making? It's all it's it's all part part appropriately part of that stew. You know the the fact that the uh, the CFTC is governing the futures market. There's a clearinghouse there. You know they're going to settle. This is really important stuff. Uh, I think people often underestimate the complexity of getting that spot exposure to Bitcoin because you know, there are multiple exchanges and they can vary several hundred basis points, you know, two, three, four, five percent among them. Uh, and uh, look, they're, they're folks who just weren't ready to roll up their sleeves and, and figure out how to access an exchange and wallets and cold keys and warm keys. So I think all of that is is part of the value proposition uh, of futures and, and the fact that they you know are that regulated place where uh, the clearinghouse does uh, you know ensure the settlement is important. 
No, 100%. I mean, one of the concerns out of the SEC has been the ability to spot fraud and manipulation and clearly having a regulated market with the CFTC uh, overseeing futures. That's giving the SEC some comfortability here. Um, Simeon, before we get to the ETF itself, do you have any strong views in terms of how the SEC are going about approving these Bitcoin ETF filings? Obviously, you're very happy. You were first, uh, though, as I mentioned, you were also first to file in this new batch of ETFs after Gensler's comment. So that makes sense. But should it be first come, first served, or should there be other factors considered here? Yeah, I, I, as I, that, this isn't the hat that I wear. So I, I, <laughs> I don't have all the insight into the ins and outs of, of the calendar of how, how the SEC, uh, you know, gets us through their, their system. So I, I will, um, uh, take a, take a little bit of a pass on that one. I'll try, okay, to, I'll try not to take too many passes, but I'll take a pass on that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the ETF itself. Again, the ProShares Bitcoin Strategy ETF, ticker symbol BITO. This is actively managed. It holds CME traded Bitcoin futures. What else would you highlight here? So the, the, the strategy focuses on the front month contracts, the ones that are the closest in time to uh, the closest in, in, in time in the future. And that's important because uh, if you look historically, you could sort of look at what the strategy might have done since those CME futures uh, incepted. And you see, you know, very high uh, tracking to spot Bitcoin, high beta, high correlation. But uh, I'll give you a couple of ways to contextualize that. You had mentioned the uh, the mutual fund that we have, BTCFX. So we launched a very similar strategy mutual fund back in July. And it, it's a short history, but it's an important one. So from the launch of that mutual fund through last Friday, the Bitcoin reference rate, we'll get back to that because it's also playing a role in the futures, but the Bitcoin reference rate, which amalgamates a few of these exchange prices to get a pretty good read on what the price of Bitcoin is, that reference rate was up 51% in that time period. The mutual fund was up 52 The Grayscale Trust was up 37 So... So far, so good with the with the tracking of the future strategy, um, and I know you're going to ask, so I'm just on a roll. But you know, if, if you th- there is you know a cost, sometimes a benefit, but often a cost of going from one contract to the next. It's called a roll in future space. Um, a little bit of context for that: if you look at the month of September, the average difference between that near month contract and the next one was 20 basis points. And even if you annualize that, which people often do to describe these things, you get two and a half percent. We think that that actually looks pretty favorable compared to the cost of any other way you get exposure. Remember, you can't invest in that thing in the corner of the TV screen and you can't invest in the Bitcoin reference rate. You got to do something. You got to pay somebody for something. There's bid, there's ask, there's wallets, there's things. So uh, we think not only is this a convenient uh, option, but it's a very robust one as well. I like how you said that you were on a roll prior to bringing up the topic of roll costs. I didn't even do that on purpose. Did not do that on purpose. <laughs> but, but look, let's talk a little bit more about this, Simeon, because I would say this is the hottest button topic around the ETFs right now, that there is this potential for negative roll costs, uh, that because you have to roll over futures contracts each month and the Bitcoin futures curve isn't contango, that the out months cost more than the, the near months, that's going to be a drag on returns. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? I mean, how big of an issue could this be? Obviously, you're not in the mar- in the in the market of predicting what the Bitcoin futures curve is going to look like, and certainly it could also go into backwardation and, and be a nice tailwind for the fund. But but how big of an issue could this be? 
Yeah, so I, I mentioned the the September data point of about 20 basis points a day, if you annualize it, about 2.5%. And also, it's important to keep in mind that um, there's a, 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 it's a decent guess to think that these that, that can actually decrease over time as more participants get into the marketplace and the you know the full robustness of the liquidity continues to uh, to expand and grow and we think the uh, the introduction of the ETF into this I hate the word ecosystem but I'll use it into into this or space these were all words that don't have precise meanings but more and more activity there is in fact likely if anything to uh, uh, to bring some of those roll costs even further down over time but you know what we've seen again I think uh, I think uh, compares favorably to other ways that you would get exposure. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but for an investor who maybe is looking at futures-based ETFs for the first time, the actual Bitcoin futures exposure in this ETF is held by a Cayman Island subsidiary. And I know some investors here, uh, Cayman Islands, and they, they think something nefarious is going on. Do, do you want to explain that part? Well, uh, the, you don't have the opportunity to go down and snorkel just because you buy the <laughs> ETF. But uh, indeed, this is this is what we would call kind of regular way execution, very commonly used. Um, I think one thing. So, so if you looked, you would find this in a lot of ETFs, and it, people are kind of poking around here because it's it's such a high profile launch. But it's a very common uh, common way to manage manage these vehicles. And one thing I would note. And it's a smidgen more in the weeds than I've been talking about back to back for the last 36 hours. But if you are familiar a little bit with um, commodity investing, um, you know that very often from tax purposes, they will come with a K-1. And that's an annoying document that you get at the end of the year. And then your accountant will cost you, will charge you a few extra dollars to deal with it. Um, there aren't any K-1s with uh, with BITO. So that's another uh, little bit in the weeds advantage, but a notable one for people who are familiar with um, with uh, other you know, commodity type futures based investments. And just again, in terms of this ETF, potentially tracking closely to spot pricing. So CME Bitcoin futures track the CME CF Bitcoin reference rate. As I understand it, it looks at Bitcoin price, uh, prices across five of the largest crypto exchanges. Is that correct? And anything else you would add to that? Yeah. So, so the BRR, the Bitcoin reference rate, is the guy that drives the settlement. But in and of itself, that that's an important piece of the puzzle because it really does, by amalgamating the uh, the prices from several exchanges, that helps a lot. But that is only a partial solution. It is the participation of all the participants buying and selling the futures that makes that market a very liquid uh, and important and perhaps even better place for price discovery. So the BRR is sort of your, it's your signpost, but then everybody being involved, all the participants in the market, um, in effect, refine that in terms of the, the, the realized prices of the futures. This may be another question you'll have to route to your uh, SEC attorneys, but in terms of product structure, I know your original SEC filing had language around being able to hold Canadian Bitcoin ETFs and things like GBTC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. My guess is you view those as sort of a release valve, that in the event the futures market became too unwieldy, you could get Bitcoin exposure elsewhere. That makes sense to me. But obviously, the SEC is not allowing that. Are you able to speak to that at all? And I'm not asking you to throw the SEC under the bus here. You're probably sending them flowers and gifts right now. But that did stand out to me that that language was removed in, in the actual uh, offering of, of the ETF itself. Any comments around that? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know the process of how that changed. Uh, you know, what I what I can do is for folks who do you know want to avail themselves of the prospectus, there is the option to use other vehicles that are listed and that are described in the prospectus. And also any any uh, uh, any of that would be well communicated to investors. So there's still a few things we could use um, to get Bitcoin exposure. But the real intent is to be you know in those front month contracts as the uh, uh, as the most effective way to get uh, the performance of of Bitcoin expressed through the returns of the ETF. In terms of the futures market potentially becoming too unwieldy, uh, you know, we saw USO last year have some issues. What about futures position limits that if you are inundated with investor demand and, and boy, by the way, things are starting today, it looks pretty good. Uh, the ETF could bump up against these limits imposed by the CFTC, which restrict how much of any one futures contract a fund or a, an owner can hold. Are you concerned with that at all? Well, they just doubled, starting with the November contracts, um, and I think, sir, and over time, one might suspect that you know the uh, the limits will continue to increase. So, um, you know, there's some optimism around that, uh, and we're, we're certainly prepared. Again, we can all you can flip to the prospectus to see what might happen, but we're really encouraged by the the doubling. Of the uh, of the limits starting with the November contracts, so I think that uh, over time we may see that become even less of an issue. Regarding investor demand for this ETF, what are your expectations here? So we mentioned the mutual fund version of this strategy. Your sister company Pro Funds that launched at the end of July, but last I checked, that only has about fifteen million dollars invested in it. Um, any sense as to what investor demand might look like for the ETF? And if you do think it's going to be stronger than the mutual fund, why is that? It, we're glad to have them coexist, pro shares and pro funds. We're both, you know, are both in our family, so we're glad to have both of them exist. Um, we certainly know it's it in this day and age that um, the tradability of the ETF all day long um, is an advantage that many folks will see. So there's over very much overlapping use cases, but certainly the ETF has has advantages that course, has brought the kind of profile to the launch over the last two days um, that's noteworthy. And it's been part of our optimism with regards to the, the potential for investor demand, both um, from you know folks who are going to buy and hold and include it in that brokerage, uh, brokerage account, but also the trading community. You want both people there. You, 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 you want the traders there when you buy it so you know you get a good price. And then if you're holding it for you know, 12 or 24 months, the day you need to sell it for whatever reason, a year or two later, you want the traders there so you know you get an accurate price on the way out. So even buy and hold investors are a trader one of those days. Uh, and you know, we think that this is a real key milestone in bringing uh, more robustness to, um, to the trading of Bitcoin um, in the futures market and the spot market. And what about just the overall competitive dynamics here? So I believe we're now closing in on something like 10 futures-based Bitcoin ETF filings or, or now with your launch. There's some pretty big ETF brand names lurking out there. Now, I think clearly you being the first mover, that helps. But how do you stay out front? How do you maintain that? Like, what do you think is most important here? Well, the first and most important thing was to put out the right product. So, you know, I think the design that we launched with BITO is the right, uh, the right solution. Um, will there be other solutions over time? Absolutely. That's why we, uh, we, we don't rest over here. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to, you know, watch the evolution of, uh, of the marketplace and the regulatory marketplace. And as we see, you know, other, all other opportunities to 
you know, bring differentiated solutions to investors will certainly do that. But uh, we are pretty glad to be first and we think we did it right. All right. I think I know how you're going to answer this. But before I let you go, I have to ask you uh, that this is something everybody wants to hear. Do you have any sense whatsoever on where the SEC stands on a physical Bitcoin ETF? Any inkling? Zip. None. Really, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I'm doing my job right now and my team's doing its job. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we will we will watch that with the rest of everybody else. And if there's an opportunity at some point, again, whether it's uh, whichever way the regulatory evolution goes, we'll keep an eye on it with everybody else. Well, Simeon, I want to close with a quote from ProShare CEO Michael Sapir. He said, 1993 is remembered for the first equity ETF, 2002 for the first bond ETF, and 2004 for the first gold ETF. 2021 will be remembered for the first cryptocurrency linked ETF. I absolutely love that. Uh, sincere congratulations to you and, and your team. Best of luck with the ETF and thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. Take care. That was Simeon Hyman, Global Investment Strategist at ProShares. That'll do it for this very special edition of ETF Prime. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Nate Geraci, or you can send comments through ETFprime.com. I will be right back here next week with our regular schedule, two great guests, Procure AM's Andrew Channon and Bitwise's Matt Hogan. Until then, have a great week, everyone.